Well, the same old question keeps getting asked over and over again. When do we think we'll get a handle on the juvenile crime problem facing Australia? And I'll say it again. It is not just Queensland. It is all of Australia that's suffering. We heard from Senator Jacinta Napajimba-Price early this week. And she was talking about juvenile crime in Alice Springs, and she's born and bred there. But when we heard of the Queensland Police Commissioner Katerina Carroll resigning from her role over the youth crime crisis, I had to speak out because I don't believe for one moment it is Katerina Carroll's fault or the hardworking men and women of the Queensland Police Force. They're doing their best. They are working their backsides off trying to, well, basically, you know, you've got legislation that's been passed. There are laws in place, but it's up to the judiciary to follow through. And it must be very, very frustrating indeed for any police officer to be told to fight while your hands are tied behind your back. We all heard of that terrible, terrible stabbing. The death of Red Bank Plains grandmother, Violene White, in that car park of her local shopping centre. And we hear that allegedly the 16-year-old youth responsible was out on bail. And the police prosecutor telling the magistrate, begging the magistrate not to release this young man because they believed he was a threat to society, but he was released on bail anyway. So what do you do when you're a police officer? What is Katerina Carroll meant to do about all of this? And what will her replacement do? I mean, you can only uphold laws that are passed in the parliament. That's all you can do as a police officer. And then it's up to the judiciary, the magistrates, to show an example and to represent society. That's us, isn't it? Once again, it gives me great pleasure to talk to former Detective Mark Ainsworth. He's worked on six royal commissions, including the Fitzgerald Commission of Inquiry into Police Corruption. Um, he has had a lot to say about youth justice and youth crime. We've had him on this program before, and every time we talk to him, well, the phones go berserk, and the podcast of our interview gets record amounts of hits. He's on the phone again now. Mark, good morning. G'day, Luke. How are you? I'm really, really well. Well, what do you make of the resignation of Katerina Carroll? I've just said what I think. What do you think? Look, I think the role at the moment in Queensland in particular um, is a very, very difficult role for a police commissioner. Um, no separation of powers between government and the police commissioner. So the police commissioner's performance is overviewed by the Minister for Police. So, you know, I think it makes an, a police commissioner very, very difficult in the position that pushing back and saying we can't do this, we can't do that. I think, uh, as you mentioned there, you know, the lawmakers of the parliaments, um, you know, the judges and magistrates and the judiciary, they uh, look at bail, they look at offences. And as you're saying rightfully, quite rightfully, is the police are getting absolutely smashed. They're getting out there, doing a great job, putting people before the courts. They continue to get bail. They continue to get pathetic sentences. And we've got a government up here in Queensland that are just treating us as fools in putting through soft legislation, which is not making any difference whatsoever. Um, since I last spoke, Luke, we had, as you mentioned, the, the um, Mrs. White murder 
uh, by a 16-year-old juvenile. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, out there at um, Red Bank Plains, there's been fences through the roof. And all we've seen our current government up here do is to pass you know, laws like knife laws. Now, I can understand we've, we've got you know the, the Beasleys and the Stewarts who, who lost their children through um, knives. Uh, nice sort of thing, and they've got they've got um, you know fundraising and things in place to change legislation, you know, wanding and that. But these kids that are doing break and enters, stealing cars, they're all offences of dishonesty. A kid's going to go into a shop and buy a knife or buy a machete? Of course they're not. You know, knives and machetes are readily available at the parents' house, the guardians' houses, or the houses they break into. So uh, it's, it's just an example of a soft law of a government that's well and truly out of touch as to what the public expectations are here in Queensland. And the next thing they're trying to do is allow media into children's courts to, you know, photograph and video and give give names and everything out of these offenders. I don't agree for that one minute. And the reason I say that is we've got kids these days using social media to video police pursuits of them driving stolen cars mm. to record stuff and show it to their friends. They're mm. making celebrities out of themselves. And I, I, I'm for one that believe that, you know, advertising what these kids are doing in children's court is giving them a celebrity status, which yes. is continuing to, to thrive. I've said exactly doing. that. I think that the moment we put the media, the cameras and the reporters into the children's courts, uh, sure, it brings to light to us, the punter, uh, what goes on in those courts. And I, I guess we have a right to know. But will it add to these offenders' celebrity, and it will. They'll, they'll, they'll become stars. A, a, a lot of these crimes are uh, committed uh, with, uh, with them being recorded, and they show it to their friends, and they're absolute heroes. We don't want to add to that. No, 100%. Um, Katharina Carroll was also talking a couple of weeks ago about putting tracking devices, ankle bracelet tracking devices, on these offenders if they are out on bail. Now, I said quite publicly on this program and on Channel 7 Sunrise, I don't think that's going to work. They don't care about these brazen, serious crimes they're committing. They're not going to care if they've got an ankle bracelet on and all. They'll just cut it off. What are your thoughts? 100%. I agree with you 100%. They're, they're an after-the-issue uh, type arrangement. Kids have already committed the crimes to have the bail conditions of wearing an ankle bracelet they can be cut off quite easily, and it, it happens before. It's happened previously. It'll happen again. It's just impacting on, I believe it's corrective services that monitor the movement of the tracking devices. So there, there again, we're tying up other government resources that could be doing other things. So I think really that they've got to get down to the prevention and breaking the cycle of this youth crime day in, day out. And these things, you know, the knife laws, I think they'll be ineffective. The media in the court strategy, I believe, will be ineffective. GPS ankle trackers, I believe, are ineffective. And, and on this program previously, I've spoken about legislating against the parents and the guardians. Where are their kids at 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning? Exactly. What's the responsibility of these parents? I then talked about, you know, diversion from the criminal court procedure or diversion from youth custody centres and all that. And I notice in reading the paper today that the Queensland government is now considering uh, putting First Nation juvenile offenders into some of these farm type arrangements I was talking about. Well, again, it's not only First Nation offenders. These are a mixture of First Nations, uh, Caucasian kids, a variety of kids. So, again, another half-baked type of solution 
which, you know, they, they think it's going to tick the box to get him in over the next election. But I spoke to Senator Jacinta Price this week on this program, and uh, she was talking about the, the, the juvenile crime that goes on in Alice Springs. And we were talking about Indigenous First Nations kids being picked up on the streets at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, kids as young as 8 and 9. And if you go around to their homes and you find out that their home life is crap and there's, there's abuse and they'd rather be out in the street, they feel safer on the street than they do at home, well, these kids deserve protection. But there's they, they, people are anxious about doing this with Indigenous kids because they're worried about, oh, we're going to be accused of uh, creating another stolen generation. My point with Jacinta Price is it shouldn't matter what the colour of your skin is. If a child is not protected and if a child is not safe at home, that child deserves its human rights and it deserves protection. I agree, 500%. I agree. Whether black, white, brindle, it doesn't matter. It's just got to be some equal opportunity for all of these kids. And what I said on your program last time, is not only having these areas like diversion areas for recidivist child offenders, but giving the kids an opportunity that haven't been fortunate enough to have a good upbringing to think, look, I'd, I'd like an opportunity to, to get out of what I'm doing, you know, roaming the streets at two or three in the morning, you know, being bashed by my parents. I'd like an opportunity to go to one of these areas and learn a trade skill, learn some farm skills and perhaps education. And I think it's got to be open, you know, broadly across Australia. I think previously I spoke about the setup there for the um, at the Kimberleys, the diversion program for the Indigenous with alcohol problems, and how effective that's been. Yeah. Um, you know, I noticed the Catter Party here have been promoting since about 2017 this idea, and, and it may be finally starting to get a bit of attraction. Um, but we'll wait and see. I'm talking with former Detective Superintendent Mark Ainsworth here on the night shift. And uh, once again, we're talking about juvenile crime. Uh, Mark, I spoke, I had the pleasure of speaking to Bob Davis, who runs Hard Yakka. And boy, oh boy, uh, what an interesting bloke he is. That interview, incidentally, listeners, is a separate clip on our podcast. Hard Yakka is a military-style farm detention centre where there's uh, love involved, discipline, and it's amazing. A lot of his volunteers are kids who, who went there at one point and have turned their lives around and come back and they help out. It, uh, Bob Davis is ex-military. Um, and he says that he has above a 90% success rate, which is amazing. I also got a phone call from a, a, a prison officer who is currently working in youth detention who reckons that their success rate's about 10. Your, your thoughts? Yep, I'd agree with that. I think uh, at the moment, detention centres are where like-minded kids go, get some better ideas, work, get out, release, and run together doing these crimes and committing offences. I think, you know, the having some discipline instilled in some of these places, the diversion centres, like you know, Bob's obviously running, and having um, kids that have been through those sort of programs coming back you know, running the programs, it makes them champions and gives them a purpose, but it also, they're a role model for other kids that can come there that can see what can be done, how they can break the cycle and have some purpose for their life. The reason that prison, uh, the reason that, that prison officer uh, gave me a call was in response to Pauline Hanson, Senator Pauline Hanson, who was also on this program last week, 
And she says that her information is that uh, youth detention is a holiday camp where you get three meals and a swimming pool and basketball courts and playstations and all sorts of things. And her information is a lot of kids commit a second or a third crime to get back in there because it's better than home. Yeah, I believe that. And, you know, but it's again, it's just the cycle. They go there, they get sport like that. They're not learning anything. They're not coming out better kids. Whereas the Bob Davis type of setup gives those kids an opportunity to learn things, to do different things, to get away from the social media, the mobile phones and all this sort of stuff that influence them. But just to break the cycle, mm. to learn a bit of a bit of what's going on, a bit of respect. You know, I think that's a big thing that society's lost these days is respect. So let's and, get you know, yeah, so let's get down to the nuts and bolts of this, Mark. I mean, if if you're going to allow a juvenile offender back out on bail, but with uh, under uh, under the uh, the rules being that you're going to wear a tracking device, and you don't wear that tracking device, you cut it off. What are the consequences? Why do we see so much repeat crime? Why? I'll tell you why. There are no consequences. When I'm an old-fashioned parent, and when we had rules of the house, if our kids broke the rules of the house, there had to be consequences. Without consequences, Mark, you have chaos and anarchy. Yep, and I think that's what's facing most states in Australia at the moment with juvenile crime. You know, the consequences aren't there. I think I've been thinking about it a lot lately, Luke, and you look at, you know, who are these media advisors? Oh, sorry, not media, but um, political advisors. Mm. Who are the policy makers? What experience have they had? Have they ever seen an angry man or an angry woman on the street? Have they been the victim of the crime? You know, is it easy for them just to sit there and come out with this crap legislation that doesn't work and say, oh, you know, this will tick the box? Well, I think the public are totally fed up with what is going on and the pathetic efforts to try and change things. And as I said previously, I think what you need to do is to keep the bureaucrats out of this and pick some community people to put forward some good, solid ideas to move forward, and I think it's time the politicians who are voted by the people listen to the people. Because the clock's ticking, and the and the the, the, the older these kids get, next thing you know, they're in full-on adult jails, and then I fear it may be way, way too late. Mark Ainsworth, it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom with us, and uh, yeah, I'll say it again, I back the police force, but I find that their job must be very, very hard when, as I say, you're told to fight, but at the same time, your hands are tied behind your back. 100%, I agree with you. They do a good job. They try their hardest. It's like any job, you have your good and your bad, but, like, you know, the frustrations are continually putting these kids before the courts and then just repeat calls for service for broken enters, unlawful use, chasing the kids. It's just a vicious cycle that continues. Former Detective Mark Ainsworth here on the Night Shift on Triple M. Good to talk, Mark. Catch up soon. Great. Thanks, Luke. See you later. Thank you.